No end to the fighting or suffering as Russia's war on Ukraine enters its third month. Here at home, Florida's governor takes on his state's biggest employer. And as interest rates rise, the red-hot housing market shows signs of cooling off. I'm Paul Brandis. You're listening to West Wing Reports from Washington. It's Friday, April 22nd. Russians tried and failed to take Kyiv, the Ukrainian capital. Now they've regrouped and are trying to seize territory in eastern Ukraine, in a region called the Donbass, where fighting has gone on for nearly a decade. But it's far bigger now and far more intense. Here's Pentagon spokesman John Kirby. I mean, we have seen the Russians continue to flow in um, enablers, capabilities that will help them. Uh, fight in the Donbass going forward. That's artillery, um, rotary aviation, helicopter support, uh, command and control enablers. And we do believe that they have reinforced the number of battalion tactical groups uh, in the east and the south of Ukraine. Now, we can't say specifically where all these battalions, uh, these tactical groups are going, uh, but we have seen over the last few days that they've added now uh, more than 10 to what they already had uh, there in that uh, part of the country. Separate and distinct from that, Bob, we have continued to see the concentration of their airstrikes and artillery in the Donbass and in the south, particularly around and in Mariupol. That's where uh, the preponderance of their uh, strike activity has, has gone. And the fighting with Mar- Mariupol, as you guys have all seen, continues. The Ukrainians are still resisting. Uh, the city has not fallen to the Russians, uh, but they continue to pound it from the air and, and through uh, and through long-range fires. So it's been a uh, just over the last several days, you can see, you can continue to see the Russians are are doing what we call shaping. They're trying to set the conditions for uh, more aggressive, more overt, and, and larger ground maneuvers uh, in, in the Donbass. Kirby adds, like they did in defending Kiev, the Ukrainian defenders appear to be holding their own now and then some. This is a terrain that both sides uh, understand and know, uh, and the Ukrainians, it's not like they ever left the Donbass and only have been, you know, racing to get there in the, in, the, in the last few days. They have been there throughout this invasion and throughout the last eight years, and they continue to fight uh, very, very strongly for, uh, for places in the Donbass. And, and we have seen indications in just the last few days that the Ukrainians not only have um, have defended bravely, but they have been able to secure certain villages and towns in the Donbass. Once again, that's Pentagon spokesman John Kirby. One thing that's surely helping is all the American and allied weaponry flowing into Ukraine. President Biden this week said even more is on the way. Today, I'm announcing another $800 million to further augment Ukraine's ability to fight in the east in the Donbass region. This package includes heavy artillery weapons, dozens of howitzers, and 144,000 rounds of ammunition to go with those howitzers. It also includes more tactical drones. In the past two months, we've moved weapons and equipment to Ukraine at record speed. 
We've sent thousands of anti-armor and anti-missile helicopters, drones, grenade launchers, machine guns, rifles, radar systems. More than 50 million rounds of ammunition had already been sent. The United States alone has provided 10 anti-armor systems for every one Russian tank that's in Ukraine, a 10 to 1 ratio. We're sharing and will continue to share significant timely intelligence with Ukraine to help defend them against Russian aggression. And on top of this, these direct contributions from the United States, we're facilitating, we're the outfit facilitating the significant flow of weapons and systems to Ukraine from other allies and partners around the world. Now, there's no question that all of this American allied aid is inflicting large-scale damage on Russian forces, though by now it's certainly clear that the Russians have inflicted damage upon themselves with their lack of planning, disorganization, logistical incompetence, unencrypted communications, and a top-down command and control system that puts troops in the field at a tactical disadvantage. And yet the Russians have still been able to rain hell upon Ukrainian targets, including the indiscriminate, unrelenting, and deliberate targeting of civilians. One specific objective of Moscow's is a place you probably never heard of a few weeks ago, but certainly know now, Mariupol, the strategic port city that Vladimir Putin has been bombing for weeks. As we were putting this show together, it still looked like the Ukrainians were hanging on in Mariupol, but just barely. Biden was asked about the besieged city. It's questionable whether he does control Mariupol. One thing for sure we know about Mariupol, he should allow humanitarian carters to let people on that steel mill and other places are buried under rubble to get out, to get out. That's what any, any, any head of state would do in such a circumstance. And so uh, there is no evidence yet that Mariupol is completely full. Regardless of what the status is at this moment, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken warns of a grim aftermath whenever the siege of the city ends. What the world witnessed just a couple of weeks ago when the receding Russian tide from Bucha revealed what was left in its wake in terms of death, destruction, atrocities, we can only anticipate that one this tide also, at some point, recedes from Mariupol. We're going to see far worse. The State Department, by the way, may designate Russia a state sponsor of terrorism, adding it to a small list that includes North Korea, Iran, Syria, and Cuba. In Russia, meantime, they've tested a new missile, Putin went on TV to warn the world to, quote, think twice about doing more to help Ukraine or threaten Russia itself. But for all his bluster, Russian defense officials admit the missile is a long way from actually being operational. Now to events here at home, to mask or not to mask, that's the question after a Trump-appointed judge tossed out mask mandates on public transportation. Airlines are cheering, some passengers are too, but others, like former White House COVID advisor Andy Slavitt, say decisions should be based not on ideology, but data. We want this decision to be made based on the data. Let's look at what's happened. We don't want 
a, a lone judge, an ideological judge, which is what happened here, um, to make this decision for the country, and then a bunch of airline CEOs to um, all of a sudden uh, say we're not going to wear masks based on the data. What the CDC needs to do is they need to study the data, and while they're not perfect, they're the best people to make this decision. And I think what the administration has to factor in in terms of whether they're going to appeal or not is the current ruling from the judge in Florida is not precedential. In other words, if we have another wave in the fall, if this is not appealed, we the CDC will have the, the ability to use all of the tools we need to stay safe. If, however, if they appeal it and lose, and Donald Trump appointed 234 federal judges, uh, and you get one of those other judges and you lose, then we could be faced with a situation where the CDC is not able to use even basic um, public health measures in the case of another crisis. What is the latest data? Well, the last week, the U.S. has averaged 38,000 new cases of COVID a day and 325 deaths a day. The total death toll now, 990,000. The million mark is near. There will be a lot of news coverage once that sad milestone is reached. Signs of the red-hot real estate market may be leveling off. Existing home sales fell 2.7% in March from the month before and 4.5% from a year before. This says interest rates keep rising. The average 30-year mortgage rate now 5.11%. That's the highest in 11 years. As for prices, 375 grand. That's the median right now. Median means half are worth more than that, half less. Those figures from the National Association of Realtors. Meantime, gasoline, that's $4.12 a gallon, according to AAA, the average nationwide price for regular. That's down 13 cents over the past month. Keep in mind, though, gasoline prices typically move higher as the peak summer driving season approaches. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts. If you've ever been to a Disney theme park, you know they like to call it the happiest place on Earth. Well, Disney is probably not so happy these days. The entertainment giant is locked in a battle with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Have you been following this? Florida lawmakers passed, and DeSantis, he's a Republican, he signed a bill that limits discussion in public schools on sexual orientation and gender identity. Disney objected to that, so now lawmakers passed another bill for DeSantis to sign that takes away 
big tax breaks for Disney. This was one of those issues that went pretty much down party lines with Republicans backing their GOP governor and Democrats opposing. DeSantis, by the way, he's in his first term and is already being talked about as a presidential contender. But that may depend, in fact, probably will depend on what one of the Sunshine State's more prominent citizens does, Donald Trump. Speaking of Trump, there's a new book about the January 6th attack on the Capitol, and it includes some pretty damning quotes about Trump from then-Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. The book's called This Shall Not Pass. Authors Jonathan Martin and Alex Burns, both of the New York Times, gave some of the details on CNN. The first speaker here is Martin. So we're taking readers here inside the inner sanctum of the Capitol, inside these rooms, uh, these private meetings and conversations that are taking place with urgency after January 6th. Uh, the leaders of the GOP in Congress desperate to figure out what do we do? How do we hold this president accountable? How do we solve, frankly, this political problem? And McCarthy in this moment is is almost desperate to figure out how can I address this? And he says he's going to take urgent and decisive action. He's going to call President Trump and say, Democrats are going to impeach you. You should resign. And it really captures, I think, importantly, not just this period of history, but this is about tomorrow as well as yesterday. And it's important for viewers to know that, that this also offers a picture of what it could be like if President Trump does run again in 2024, because his party capitulated to him once in this moment after the 6th, and they're still tied to him to this day. I th and your title really gets to that, I think. It's, it, it really does. But McCarthy, for his part, what is his camp saying about how this went down? Well, they've denied selectively a couple uh, items of our reporting. They've not denied that he said uh, Trump's behavior was atrocious, that it was uh, indefensible, that nobody should defend it. They didn't comment on uh, those components of our reporting. Uh, they have denied that he said that he was going to call Trump uh, and call on him to resign. We are a thousand percent confident in our sourcing on that comment. And, Brianna, what we're really capturing in this moment is just how much danger the United States was in on and around January 6th, how much danger it is still in today, and the degree to which men like Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell knew at the time and likely still know just as well today that that danger exists and how little they have done about it. On that disturbing note, let's move on for now and hear about another Evergreen podcast that I know you'll enjoy. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I, I hope so, man. I'm tired. <laughs> who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I, I, I've never done it. Right. <laughs> Time now to open up the West Wing Report's archives and see what made history this week in the past. 
1793, George Washington said America would remain neutral as tensions between Britain and France rose. The president was wary of foreign entanglements. In his farewell address when he later retired, Washington warned against what he called permanent alliances. 1980, disaster in the desert, a raid to rescue American hostages in Iran failed when two helicopters went down in the Iranian desert with engine trouble. Another crashed into a C-130 aircraft. Eight U.S. service members were killed. President Jimmy Carter spoke to the nation. This rescue attempt had to await my judgment that the Iranian authorities could not or would not resolve this crisis on their own initiative. With the steady unraveling of authority in Iran and the mounting dangers that were posed to the safety of the hostages themselves, and the growing realization that the early release was highly unlikely, I made a decision to commence the rescue operations plans. This attempt became a necessity and a duty. The botched Iran raid was a major humiliation for Carter. In the wake of the mission's failure, Secretary of State Cyrus Vance, who warned the president against the mission, made good on his threat to resign. Carter's re-election bid that year was crushed in a landslide by Ronald Reagan. And 1994, Richard Nixon died. He was the 37th president, served between 1969 and 74. In 1968, Nixon promised to, quote, bring us together as a nation, but Watergate helped tear it apart. He became the only president to resign. You know, although Nixon is remembered for Watergate, he had some notable successes both at home and abroad. He reached out to China, embarked on detente with the Soviet Union, and ended the Vietnam War. At home, Nixon exempted nine million low-income citizens from paying taxes while raising taxes on the rich. He fought for tougher workplace safety standards, sharply boosted Social Security benefits, created the Environmental Protection Agency, and fought for cleaner air and water. But it's all overshadowed in the eyes of history, at least by Watergate. Want more history? Check out my books on Amazon. I'll sign them for you, too. Just shoot me an email, pbrandis at evergreenpodcasts.com. And need a speaker for your event? I do that, too. Current events, economics, analysis, history. I'll connect the dots and would love to hear from you. Speaking of books, I'll send you one if you download my new app. It's called West Wing Reports, available in the Apple and Android stores. Just download it on your phone or tablet. There's a button called What's on Your Mind. All you do is push, talk, and send. That's it. Leave a comment and your name goes into a drawing for any of my books, your choice. I'd like to end each week with a quote, something you might find thoughtful this week. It's from Richard Nixon. He said, quote, only if you have been in the deepest valley can you ever know how magnificent it is to be on the highest mountain. He should know he was in both places at times during his career. Well, that's all for this week. Here's my email again, pbrandis at evergreenpodcasts.com. West Wing Reports is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to C-SPAN and CNN for the audio clips. 
producer, sound designer, and engineer, Noah Fouts. Executive producers, Michael D'Aloy and Gerardo Orlando. I'm Paul Brandis in Washington. Thanks so much for listening. Happy Earth Day, by the way. Recycle and conserve whenever you can. We'll see you next week. Did you know virtually all vessels traveling in the U.S. have to be American-built, owned, and crewed? That's thanks to the Jones Act, which is the bedrock of the American maritime industry. On the American Maritime Podcast, we cover the topics that matter most to the 650,000 men and women of American maritime, while also being accessible for the average listener to learn about this industry. Every episode features a new guest, including congressional leaders, senior military officials, leading policy analysts, and other experts. Come aboard and listen wherever you get your podcasts or watch on the American Maritime Partnerships YouTube channel.